0: Hello again from the banks of Lost Creek in the foothills of the beautiful Cascade Mountain Range in the often out-of-step state of Oregon. You're listening to the Called Out Cafe podcast, and hopefully you can't hear Copper, the Bernese Mountain Dog, panting in the background. This is episode number 14 in the series titled The Biblical Worldview of the Spirit Realm. In this episode, using the Bible as a source of how spiritual creatures have interacted with the physical realm in the past, I'm going to talk a little bit about how it's possible that they may do so in the same ways today. Once you start to recognize the storyline of the spirit realm in the Bible and understand how important it is, you start to see a narrative of that realm interacting with what humans can observe in this physical realm. It's all over the place in the Old and New Testaments. Oftentimes, even when we're reading the Bible, we wouldn't know about what was going on behind the scenes in the spirit realm if we wouldn't have it revealed to us, like in the case with the book of Job. And what I mean by that is if we, all we had was the story of how bad things were for Job... You know, we just might think that Job was a guy having some extremely bad luck, but because God gives us the insight as to what was going on in, the, in his own throne room, we know that there is a supernatural story going on behind the scenes. Well, all of those stories are instructive to us in that there may be things going on around us in this world right now that can be attributed to more than just nature or physical science. The spirit realm exists, and life and activities are going on within it all the time, all around us. We'll only know fully to what extent that is and how it affects us today if one day God shares that information with us. The spirit realm does not come in and out of reality only when God wants to include it in His story, any more than the physical world comes in and out of reality. References to the spirit realm in the Bible is not a clever storytelling tool that God uses to illustrate what He's trying to accomplish in the physical realm. There are millions of diverse beings, both good, or followers of Yahweh, and evil, rebels against Yahweh, that constantly, but invisibly and silently to our eyes and ears, go about their business. And although we are rarely, if ever, aware of it, The supernatural realm directly impacts the physical world that we live in. I feel the big so what question mounting. Why should we care about what goes on around us and we can't see or hear? (laughs) Isn't it just a guessing game what's occurring out there? And it's not like we can do anything about it, right? Well, maybe this comparison will help. Think about nations or international terrorist organizations that are now and have been in the past obvious enemies of the United States, now, like China, or Russia, or Iran. Many, or even most of us, have never walked the streets of Moscow, Beijing, or Tehran. We're clueless about the people who live there and go about their business on a day-to-day basis. Yet, we know even though at times these nations appear to be benign, or even cooperative with us, that they are deceptively and covertly conducting operations against our interests. They're secretly waging internet campaigns, hacking our computer systems, shutting down our infrastructure, undermining our relations with other countries, promoting anti-American socialist ideals, interfering with our voting process, backing their favorite candidates, manipulating our economy, infiltrating our borders, making attack plans, and gathering information that can be used against us. And the list would just go on. You and I can have a general idea that all of this is going on, but there's close to nothing that you and I can do about it. However, few people would say that knowledge of such things is irrelevant, Some may choose to be more politically active because of this information. We may stay better informed so we don't end up doing something that unknowingly supports the enemy's agenda. At the very least, having knowledge that these things go on gives us some insight as to what's taking place in the world around us. Being alert, awake, and watchful after all is something Jesus emphasized he wants us all to do. Well, regarding the idea that like Flip Wilson, the 1970s (laughs) comedian and uh, what kind of show would that be? Uh, Variety show host. He used to say, and I'll spare you my impression uh, of how he would say it, but he used to say, the devil made me do it. Well, we know that even a follower of Jesus may put stumbling blocks in the way of another brother influencing them to sin. How much more Can an evil being who sets out to do so provide temptation to sin? However, there is no deferring blame to Satan. The devil will be judged for his own actions. He's not the one who will be judged and held accountable for the actions of every individual. We will be. God sees right through the excuses that someone else, including the devil, makes us sin. Blaming others for our sin is an excuse that's almost as old as time itself. It didn't work for Eve to blame the devil, and it didn't work for Adam to blame his wife. You can't read Romans chapter 1 and walk away with any conclusion other than human beings can be wicked on their own apart from any influence Satan may have. By the way, in Romans chapter 1 verses 18 to 32... This is just a side note. I believe it's a good description of what was going on when God disinherited the nations after the Tower of Babel incident recorded in Genesis chapter 11. I recommend reading those two passages together sometime, and you just tell me if you don't think that they fit together. Anyway, back to the topic at hand. Saying, as some do, that gaining knowledge of the reality and influence that Satan can have on humans will give rise to people making excuses for their sin... That's like saying that warning people that cigarettes contribute to causing cancer will allow people to blame the cigarettes for their cancer. No, it wasn't the cigarettes, it was smoking them that contributed to causing cancer. But concerning the work of Satan tempting us, another comparison might be helpful, that of television ads. We are bombarded by influential ads that play on our senses and desires. But we're under no obligation to pay attention to them, let alone do what they say and buy what they want us to buy. We can resist what they want us to do by turning off the TV or ignoring the ads or using our reason to tell us we don't need what they're selling. Yet, the unsuspecting, the weak-minded, and those who are looking for that thing that may finally please themselves or make themselves more comfortable, may give in to the ad and buy the product. The fact is we don't even need their influence for us to make a decision to buy what they're selling. We may make that decision completely apart from any advertising that might have influenced us. The advertiser is just putting the temptation to do so in front of us, encouraging us, and providing opportunity. That appears to essentially be what the forces of darkness do regarding temptation. After watching them be created, and many a millennia of studying humans ever since, the average fallen angelic being would probably be deserving of PhDs in anthropology, sociology, and psychology. I'm sure that we could probably throw in a marketing and propaganda degree also that they'd qualify for. Well, these highly qualified beings have 24 hours a day to figure out the most effective ways of seducing us by playing on our own evil desires and self-centered nature. And they provide opportunities for us to try and fulfill those desires. It's not that we need their influence to do evil. We are evil on our own without them. Unless one has reached the point of demonic possession, the devil does not make us do anything. Like he tempted Jesus in the wilderness, he and his minions just tempt us. They often tempt us while employing deception, sometimes very subtle deception, where the truth has just been slightly twisted. Other times they use overt yet plausible lies. The Internet (laughs) has become a great tool for this. This being stated, each one of us needs to wrestle with these questions. If Satan and his forces of evil are not a factor in the life of human beings today, then why is there so much written about him and his horde in the Bible? Why does the Bible blame Satan for so much going on in our world today? Why are we, who live after what happened on the cross, warned so strongly about him? And why is the establishment of Jesus' kingdom and final peace on earth dependent on Satan being bound up and cast into hell. I'm always very interested, but I of course don't know where you are at with all of this. Besides not knowing most who are listening, (laughs) even if I did know you, the subject of the spirit realm has hardly ever been talked about. Because of the purposeful canceling of the spirit realm for the past 300 years in the church, followers of Jesus are all over the map with what they believe. So, you might be someone who's on one end of the spectrum who has no problem just accepting this spirit realm stuff is real, simply because your literal-oriented approach to reading the Bible reveals it as such. You're wondering why I even think it's necessary to state that the spirit realm is real. On the other hand, You may find yourself on the other end of the spectrum and really be struggling with the reality of the spirit realm because you've become convinced otherwise. Some, like Deists, will acknowledge the reality of God, but He's a God who only set the universe in motion, and maybe with the exception of sending Jesus to get our attention somewhere along the way, He's been hands-off ever since He created us. Like a watchmaker makes a watch, winds it up, and lets it go, God created the raw stuff and set evolution in motion. No spirit realm necessary. Those who claim to be followers of Jesus can be found everywhere on this spectrum that I just laid out for you. So let's talk about how the unseen realm may affect us today. There is no biblical reason to think that the spiritual geographic regions I've previously talked about no longer exist. Remember Psalms 82, where God chastised the sons of God for things that they weren't doing that He told them they should be doing. He gave them authority over geographic regions, and they were supposed to be doing some stuff. Well, those things should sound familiar with the world we're living in today. For example, we rarely see true justice. The world is full of the weak, the oppressed, and the needy. The world is in darkness, living according to lies and not the truth. Billions of people, most inhabitants of this planet, are not worshippers of Yahweh, the one true God, and His Son. They are devoted to themselves, the gods of their imaginations, or actual gods of the supernatural realm. All this as though the rebellion of some of the heavenly host is still going strong. This type of evil is precisely what's behind Paul's statement in Ephesians six twelve 12-13, and it says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. It's not the physical world's governments, which are made up of flesh and blood, that we wrestle against. Our presidents and our kings do not qualify for the conditions of this verse. They do not reside in the heavenly spiritual places, and they are not spiritual forces. As much as they can be used as tools of Satan, the same goes for drugs and pornography. They are not spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places or cosmic powers. It's the rulers of the unseen realm that Yahweh blamed for failing to meet the basic needs of humans—justice, protection, subsistence, and hearing the truth. As I just stated, though, this is not to say that they cause humans to sin. Sin, and our self-centered, comfort, pleasure-seeking nature, is something the dark forces simply take advantage of. When we come to the place where we recognize Jesus as our prophet, priest, and king, and we accept the salvation that he's offering, it's as though we're deciding to get up off the throne of our own lives and invite Jesus to sit down there. This is an ugly thought, but I look at sin as being when I march into the throne room of my life and I tell Jesus to get off the throne so I can have my old chair back. That's, I think, as close as we can get to what the original sin was about. I think Satan, who was there for the original sin, loves it when that happens. He's constantly looking for ways to get us to do that. So, these cosmic, non physical principalities and powers that Paul's talking about are facilitating a world in which sin flourishes, a world that has access to drugs pornography, and pick your nasty habit or vice. It's so unlike the world to come in which Jesus will rule as king in. In that world, supernatural encouragement to do evil or temptation will be absent, and Jesus will undoubtedly eliminate many opportunities and circumstances that lead to doing evil. I doubt you'll see many strip clubs, casinos, drug labs, and whorehouses when Jesus rules the earth. Trouble, like the current division between liberals and conservatives, I mean, when hasn't that existed? But anyway, the current (laughs) division between liberals and conservatives, the perception that there is inequality and no justice, the strife over elections, the hatred of law enforcement officials, the corruption in government, everyone taking such great offense at the slightest word being used wrong, cancel culture, the pushing of agendas in schools such as CRT, all of it should come as no shock to us. Although I personally don't believe in a worldwide human-led, cabal-like conspiracy, these things are not random and unplanned. I do believe in a satanic-led, cabal-like conspiracy because the Bible outlines it. It's not a theory. The tactics used by the powers of darkness may be more covert here, but the U.S. is not exempt from the influence of the god of this world. Surely the United States has its own regional unseen authorities over it that we contend with during this present darkness, just as much as the regions of Babylon and Tyre ever did. I talk a lot about it in my book, False Christian Gods, Choose Your Jesus Wisely, but I'm guessing that the demons are standing in line to have their names changed to Jesus so they can start yet another slightly off version of christianity just enough off to where they can still lay claim to the name of Jesus without actually depending on the Jesus of the bible for eternal life listen to paul's warning about this from second corinthians chapter 11 verses 3 to 4 but i am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one that you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Satan desires to deceive us, as he deceived Eve. One of the tools he will use is preaching a false Jesus and a false gospel, just like Paul said. This is the same passage that goes on to say that Satan may even present himself as an angel of light, meaning he may appear to be the most pure proclaimer of the truth ever, and yet it's all intended to mislead people away from the authentic Jesus. So, this is a really basic, important thing to understand. That Satan is considered by Jesus and the Apostle Paul to be the God of this world, and that the world is currently under the authority and influence of Satan and the Unseen Realm regional princes. This explains so much when we look at what's going on in the world today. Does what we see in the headlines appear to be evil? Well, yes, it does. Does it look like evil is? constantly on the increase. Absolutely. Should this be a surprise? Not at all to the one who understands what's going on in the unseen realm. When we, as the elect children of God, attempt to influence the world, we're fighting the oncoming tide. Although God may appoint the occasional David to stand amidst Goliath in our day, Scripture has plainly laid out for us the environment that we'll be living in until Jesus returns. We are living in an evil world that hates our master, Jesus, and likewise hates those who follow him. The agenda of Jesus is opposite of that of the God or gods of this world. I'm not saying to not fight against evil. I spent a 25-year career in law enforcement in the evil fighting business. We're called to be on guard against evil and to speak and act against evil that God has allowed to be in our path according to our resources and abilities that He's given us. I am just pointing out the kind of success that you might expect when you are doing so. As children of the light in a world of darkness we may experience limited success. We are clearly strangers living in a foreign land. It's gonna take the return of Jesus to put things right. That is the only solution. For the one who belongs to Jesus, looking and longing for that coming is the appropriate response to this world that we're living in. But some will say, hey, Doug, (laughs) what about scripture? such as Colossians 2.15, hasn't Satan been defeated and reduced down to nothing more than a buzzing bee with its stinger removed? Well, says I, what does Colossians 2.15 say? (laughs) Well, let's look at it. It says this, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Well, in the big picture, we're not only talking about the earthly rulers and authorities who were in power at the time Jesus was resurrected. They are long gone, and having triumph over them is of little significance today or in the end. This is obviously speaking about Jesus putting spiritual rulers and authority, which includes Satan, to open shame and triumphing over them. However, in the context of where we find this scripture pulled out of, we can determine the triumph is specific to, to that of the elect of God no longer being subject to the penalties of sin because of the work that Jesus did. Hell and death no longer win in the end. That, indeed, is a great triumph. But, according to the whole counsel of Scripture, you know, like other scriptures on the same topic, it doesn't mean that Satan isn't alive and well today and doing his best to still deceive, harass, and accuse. Jesus still has work to do when he returns. That work includes the binding of Satan and his minions and casting them into hell. The actions of the elect in this world when they come against the agenda of Satan, the God of this world, are about as welcome in his kingdom as the terrorist attack on the World Trade Towers. As bad as it may seem, the U.S. is relatively spiritually friendly to our natural eye. But in the unseen realm, the powers that be are not happy with actions which conflict with their agenda. As far as what's occurring in the spirit realm and how we're viewed by the angelic fallen regional princes as we live out our Jesus-dependent lives here in the U.S., we might as well travel to Tehran and exclaim, Allah is a false god and Muhammad was no prophet. Islam is a lie. And see how well that goes over. Both Iran and the U.S. are part of the world that Satan is the god of. All this to say, while we pray for a better world and for evil to be subdued, and we do what's in our power or take actions in our sphere of influence to help with that effort, whether it's through what we do for a living or casting our vote, our expectations should be based on Scripture. We live in an evil world. It's going to get a lot more overtly evil before it gets better. Then it's only going to get better because of the return and direct intervention of Jesus. So many are confused and angry today because they just simply don't understand this. You might be saying, come on Doug, (laughs) don't you think better of mankind than that? Don't you believe we can put our heads together and come up with ways to improve our world, save the planet from greenhouse gases, reinvent the police, teach people to be more woke? Can't we as Christians get school boards to reinstitute prayer in our schools? Can't we run for office and make fundamental changes in our government? Well, you can try all those things, if that's what God has called you to do. But what I believe is that thinking that human beings can change the world into a great utopian society is the precise humanistic reasoning that led to Cain building the city of Enoch and the people of the plains of Shinar building the Tower of Babel. The common denominator in all of this is that we humans tend to think that we can fix this thing all on our own, apart from God. The Bible tells us that it is only God that's going to be able to fix it. And that does not mean God's elect on God's behalf, acting as his hands and feet. It's not the church. It's only Jesus himself. That is the solution. That is our great hope. That's our prayer. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying for Jesus to come back all the time when you say the Lord's Prayer. That prayer is about bringing His kingdom, which is currently not of this world, but exists in the unseen realm, and the way things are done there, to this earth. That prayer is about Jesus taking control of the Gentile nations and giving them back to His Father. What Jesus and His apostles have instructed us to do in the meantime is to endure patiently and abide until He comes. How much easier it is to abide and wait patiently when we understand what's going on through a biblical worldview. Well, shifting topics just slightly, but staying on the topic of how the spirit realm affects the world that we live in. I've heard this question asked, why does the world hate Israel so much? Most view this as a complete mystery. And by most, I'm not talking about those in the church. They have a little bit better idea. But Some have placed the hatred of Israel into three categories based on differences in fundamental motivations. First, the pagan world's disdain for Israel. The next category is Islam's hatred of Israel. And the third, and this may sound shocking to some, but much of the church's historical and ongoing hatred of Israel. What do I mean by this? Well, if you ever want to bring yourself down someday... (laughs) Look into the actions of the church over the last two millennia towards the Jews. I can't take the time now to fill you in on many of the details. I'm addressing this topic in the book that I'm currently writing, Leaving the Church to Follow Jesus. The church's history is steeped in persecution of Jews. Important theologians from Justin Martyr to Martin Luther have condemned the Jews and have said that the church has replaced them. The Jews' to many in the history of the church were reduced to a race of Christ-killers who God divorced. The church replacing Israel and the promises made to Israel is called supersessionism or replacement theology. For now, a really good introduction to this topic is a video produced by Faith Alliance International, which you can download on YouTube. The title of the video is Covenant and Controversy Part 1. This is an important issue. Honestly, you want to know how Satan is affecting our world today? Here is one way he's doing so, through the use of the church. For those of you who may believe that God is done with Israel because of their unbelief, please read Romans chapter 11 carefully. God is not done with the descendants of Jacob, also known as Israel. He's promises to keep to them. They'll play a critical role when Jesus returns and have a very bright future. Anyway, pagans, the world of Islam, and Christians have all persecuted and acted out against Israel and the Jews like no other race in history. Despite their individual reasons for doing so, there's one common denominator behind it all. That's Satan. Whereas all the other nations were given over to regional princes to oversee... Israel is the one nation which Yahweh kept for Himself. In continual acts of rebellion against Yahweh, the God of this world, Satan, and the regional unseen princes who answer to Him who have authority over the nations, act out against the apple of God's eye, Israel. There is a beast that's described in the book of Revelation. This beast is complex, but essentially can be summed up as Satan's evil plan to destroy God's chosen people. The beast has seven heads, which represent seven different kingdoms, which have all in the past or will one day in the future persecute Israel. Included in these kingdoms is the future kingdom of the Antichrist. In the book of Revelation, we learn that the beast gets its power directly from Satan. The beast hates Israel. Satan has an ongoing hatred for Israel. All of the nations of the world, currently being Satan's children and subjects in his kingdom, only reflect their father's views towards Israel. That's where this hatred comes from. From our natural perspective, the world's hatred towards Israel is almost unexplainable. When we consider the history of what's occurred in the unseen realm between Yahweh and the regional unseen realm princes who are in revolt against Him, the reasons behind the world's hatred of the people that God set aside for Himself is totally understandable. The topic of the spirit realm is naturally a spooky one by its very nature. Lack of knowledge or misunderstanding can cause fear. Humans have great fear of the unknown. The unknown or ignorance can cause our imaginations to go wild with fear and anxiety. A great way to put down fear is to inform ourselves about a subject. Of course, beyond understanding Scripture a little better, providing information in order to alleviate fears is one of my hopes with this podcast series. The Apostle John wrote not just a little bit on spiritual matters. He talks about testing the spirits in 1 John chapter 4. In that passage, he writes of overcoming spirits that are not from God, spirits that are against Jesus or anti-Christ. John attributes overcoming these anti-God spirits to the fact that the Holy Spirit of God, who dwells in individual believers, is greater than the one who is in the world, the devil. The Holy Spirit who has allowed the elect to overcome the world and come to embrace Jesus as their Savior is the same Holy Spirit who is greater than any anti-God fallen spiritual being that one can ever possibly encounter in their life. As authentic called out believers walk through this world, it's a vessel containing God's Holy Spirit that the demons see coming. Our bodies, can be symbolically thought of as our earthly tents or houses which are inhabited by the Holy Spirit. The importance of our earthly bodies being indwelled by the Holy Spirit serves as an example that Jesus uses to make a point in the following scripture found in Matthew 12, verses 43 to 45. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when it comes it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. Clearly, the context where this scripture is found is addressing the spiritual state of Israel. Israel went through a couple different cycles of turning from God to false gods or unclean spirits, and then they would turn back to God and have their symbolic house cleaned out. Then, as their commitment to God weakened, their situation would become worse than before. That's the point being made by Jesus in the latter portions of Matthew chapter 12. However, Jesus based this illustration of what's going on with Israel on a true principle that had to do with the casting out of unclean or demonic spirits. The principle being if your house or body is not inhabited by anyone it's available for unclean spirits to move into. The unsaved who are not indwelled by the Holy Spirit have no hope in this regard. Those who have been purchased with the blood of Jesus are indwelled by the strong man who is able to repel all wannabe borders. Well, what about what's referred to as spiritual warfare? What's our part in whatever that is? What is it Paul's telling us to do when he says that we wrestle or war with the unseen spirits? I believe he's primarily giving us insight to what is really going on in the world. I think he's telling us that if we're only operating from our natural or physical world perspective, that we're treating signs and symptoms rather than the disease itself. This implies there are times when we should not waste our time or energy or our resources on temporal solutions when the problem lays in the spiritual realm. Paul's advice, found in Ephesians chapter 6, on how to be prepared for this spiritual wrestling match is quite specific. Listen to Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, which you can use to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. This is Paul's advice, boiled down from this Ephesians 6 passage on how those who are appointed to salvation are to engage the unseen realm. Be grounded in the truth, not deception, righteousness, not sin, and the peace that comes from knowing the gospel. Know the scriptures, how to apply them and live by them. Finally, Paul encourages us to be in prayer and to stay ever alert and aware It really strikes me that to stay alert towards the efforts of the enemy, that knowing the enemy, how to recognize him, and how he operates is of great importance. But this symbolic armor Paul wrote of is primarily defensive in nature. It's meant to withstand the attacks of Satan. Paul in no way implies that we, mere mortals, are going to take back the world for God from the enemy. Most of Paul's advice can be looked at as defensive tactics. What he suggests is how we can abide and endure until King Jesus comes back, rescues us, and establishes true justice and righteousness on this earth. Not to go unnoticed is that we're to be alert and watchful of what's going on around us and be in prayer, specifically for each other within the ecclesia, the church. Please don't underestimate the power behind what Paul is suggesting here, that it's our best defense against Satan and his minions who would love to be our undoing. Listen to what he said to the Corinthians. This is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3-6. to For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Seeking Jesus first and always, filling our minds with being about our Master's business, is by itself a powerful weapon against Satan. Jesus told us that an essential part of our communication with God is to ask Him to deliver us from evil. Being delivered from an external force of evil that exists outside of our own carnal desires is apparently something that we should just not assume will happen. We shouldn't take it for granted. Even as an elect of God, a rock-solid, Jesus-following, authentic Christian. Why do we have to ask for this? and it's just not somehow taken care of because it's the way God wants it to be. He wants us to be aware that there is a realm that is dead set on tripping us up. It keeps us mindful of the part God plays in our lives in keeping us from evil. All of this is how we're instructed to be prepared and ready to interact with the spirit realm here, now, today. When we're doing these things, we're already making a strong statement into that realm about who we are and what our status is. We're clearly warned that even after the forces of evil were put on notice at the cross that their days are numbered, they continue to maintain an offensive posture throughout the entire world. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8-10. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Satan typically does not attack by <laughs> filling a room full of flies and making the iron or coffee pot fly across the room, or cause someone's head to spin around and vomit. (laughs) One way that Satan does carry out his plans is through his physical agents, people who do not belong to Jesus. We're told that those who do not belong to Jesus are considered to be the, quote, sons of the evil one, unquote, and they are everywhere. The following is from Jesus's explanation of the parable of the wheat and the weeds or tares found in Matthew chapter 13 verses 38 to 39 It says this the field is the world and the good seed is the children of the kingdom the weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil the sons of the evil one are those who are influenced by Satan rather than Jesus Satan can use his children through his influence, that all that he has at his disposal that also does not belong to Jesus. Hollywood, school systems, and the media come to mind. Countless sites on the internet, drugs and alcohol. Godless people in high government positions. Jesus used children of the devil language against those who were attacking him about those who do not seek righteousness in John 8, 44 or 47. Let's see what that says. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth... You do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Satan often uses sneak attacks, using false teachers to deceive people. They're referred to in Matthew 7, verse 15 as wolves in sheep's clothing. And in 2 Corinthians 11:13 13 to 15, we'll see how Paul put it. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Again, This is Satan using those who are called Christians to deceive those who are in the ecclesia. Satan had already infiltrated the church in Paul's day. On that happy note, (laughs) based on the clock, I see that I need to make this topic a two-part episode. So, next time, of course Lord willing, I'll give you a list of the abilities that at least some spiritual beings appear to possess based on Scripture. I'll discuss a little bit about what the mechanics might look like behind how we're influenced by the dark forces. Then, taking the discussion from the theoretical to the real world, I'll also share with you a few personal brushes with the spirit world that I've had. Until then, may God richly bless you. And Maranatha. Thanks for joining me today. Until my next podcast, you can follow me on Facebook by going to the Doug Hooley Ministries page. I'm on Twitter at at Doug H. Ministries and I'm on Instagram at Doug Hooley Ministries. Find out about what I'm working on and read some of my blogs at DougHooley.com or email me at Doug at DougHooley.com That's Doug at D-O-U-G-H-O-O-L-E-Y dot com I'd love to hear from you. This has been the Called Out Cafe. So long, And God bless.